0: Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever seen the movie Aladdin? Or maybe you're familiar with the old TV show, I Dream of Genie. Or maybe you're not familiar with either of those, but I'm guessing that you've heard of the concept of a magic genie, right? You rub the lamp or the bottle or container or whatever it is, And out pops the genie. And then it's time for your wishes. And what do you wish for? More wishes, right? That way you have an unlimited number of wishes that you can use at any time. It'd make life pretty convenient to have unlimited wishes, right? Anytime you have a problem, boom, you use one of those wishes. You can imagine how tempting it would have been for Jesus' followers to treat him like a magic genie. We hear of Jesus' mother who hinted that he should make more wine for the wedding. We hear of uh, Herod, the king who wanted to see Jesus perform miracles for his entertainment. We hear of many thousands of people around the region of Galilee, who wanted to make Jesus their food king, who would provide for their needs on the spot whenever they needed it. And today, we hear of two disciples who come to Jesus with their own wish. Let's read about that. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, Let us sit, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Do you hear how this reading starts out? It starts with the question of James and John. We want you to do whatever we ask. Do you hear how they phrase it? They want Jesus to do whatever they ask before they even tell him what it is that they want. They want Jesus to give them a blank check. They want Jesus to be like their magic genie who has to give them whatever wish they want. It's almost embarrassing to hear how uh, childlike their manipulation is. But before you get too judgmental on the disciples, think about how we come to Jesus. Jesus. How do we come to Jesus? Do we ask him to make our lives a little bit easier because, well, I'm really tired. And Jesus, please, if you can just keep work from giving me any more projects, if you can keep anyone at church from asking me to volunteer for whatever might be coming up this month, that'd be great. Jesus, if you could give me a break from that one family member who is just annoying and and tiring because... He just can't get it together, and I'm always the one who has to solve the problems. Jesus, if just once maybe you could give me the raise, or I could win the contest, or finally people around me would recognize my greatness. Jesus, please give me the solution that I've got in my mind already. It's so easy. I've already figured it out. Jesus, please just give me my wish. And even when life is going pretty well and we don't feel too bad about how things are going, it's the same way. It's Jesus, you're doing such a great job. Please, if there's one thing I can ask of you, just keep doing things the way you're doing them. Just keep life rolling and coming the way that it is because this is really great. If Jesus gives us only exactly what we want, then we're treating him as no more than a magic genie who grants wishes. It's pretty easy to follow him that way, isn't it? Well, James and John had been following Jesus for some time now, at this point that we just read in the Gospel of Mark. They'd been following him from, for some time, and now they were on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus had just predicted his death for the third time, and there was this sense that something big was about to happen. Maybe they weren't sure exactly what it was that was going to happen, but they knew something big was about to happen. And now was the time to ask their question. Now was the time to get their wishes granted. So they come to Jesus and they ask their blank check question. Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus hears them out. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Their response, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Let us sit on your right and on your left at these positions of power. Jesus, we want to be at the top in your glory. Make your reservations early, right, before all the good spots are gone. That's what James and John are doing here. They want the shortcut to that that ideal that they've been holding in their head, the easy solution that they want. And now they come to Jesus and and they, they give it to him. Jesus, it's easy. Just do this for us. What do these disciples, James and John, want to get out of following Jesus? They want to get to the top. What do we want to get out of following Jesus? Do we think that by following Jesus, we're going to live a life of prosperity? There's plenty of people in the world that do think that. Do we think that by following Jesus, we're going to avoid all of the problems and the troubles that we see people in the world without Jesus experience? Are we going to avoid the depression, the suffering of disasters and accidents, disease, loneliness, feelings of fear? Do we think that simply following Jesus is going to give us an unbreakable resolve that makes us immune to ever feeling any kind of hurt? Or do we think that Jesus is some guy who's going to tell us that exactly what we are doing is the exact right thing, that we don't need to change anything about the way that we are living? or about the thoughts that we have, or the opinions that we hold. That Jesus is going to be the yes man who says, keep on doing whatever it is you're doing. Do we want the top spot in Jesus' kingdom of glory? How do we want it? And just what do we want from Jesus? If we ask questions of Jesus in just the same way that James and John did, then we're going to get the same answer. Look to verse 38 and see how Jesus responds. He says, You don't know what you are asking. Why don't we know what we are asking? Well, it's because. If we ask questions like James and John, if we make requests that are more like wishes, we're not understanding how the kingdom of God works. We're not understanding how Jesus operates. He doesn't operate like a magic genie who is there to wait on every little wish and call that we have so that he can do for us what we think is right. He's not that wish-granting genie. But if you listen to the rest of verse 38, Jesus does give James and John and us an idea of how the kingdom of God does work. He follows up saying, you don't know what you're asking by asking a question of his own. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. The cup and the baptism that Jesus is talking about here is the suffering that he's about to undergo and the persecution that he's already been experiencing from the people who oppose him. That's what Jesus asks of his disciples. He says, Can you endure these things that I endure and I'm going to endure? Because that's really how you get to the glory that you want. It doesn't happen the way that you think. And of course, the disciples answer with a resounding, We can! They're very confident in themselves. It maybe reminds us of another disciple, Peter, who was also very confident when he said, Lord, even if all others fall away, I will never leave you. And what was coming for these disciples? Well, Jesus tells them, you will drink of the cup that I drink and you will be baptized with the same baptism. James was the first martyr and John suffered much at the hands of both Jews and Romans. The life that the disciples were going to live as followers of Christ Was not the life that you would wish for. But they would eventually receive their places in glory. And do you hear what Jesus says about places in glory? Look at verse 40 But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Did you catch that? Jesus says these places have been prepared. When have they been prepared? The places in heaven have been prepared in eternity. That's a concept that that blows our minds, that we can't wrap our heads around. It makes our minds spin. But our places in heaven have been prepared for us in eternity. We already have a spot in heaven. There's no need for us to be angling to get a better one. God knows exactly where your spot is and he's already prepared it for you. That's the comforting answer for James and John. It's the comforting answer for us. How much better is it to know that the host In the kingdom of heaven, God our Father has already been thinking about our place. We don't need to come to Him asking to get a good place because He's already thought ahead. He's thought ahead about you. Your place has been prepared for you ahead of time. And so you don't need to be asking about what Jesus can do for you to give you a spot. Rather, ask Jesus how you can serve, because you're already taken care of. How can you serve the others in the kingdom of God? Think of a small child helping on the day of of a big holiday, probably not doing too much to help unless he's He or she is told to do something. A small child doesn't think of going into the kitchen and asking what can be done to help with the big Thanksgiving meal. But give it maybe 15, 20 years, when that child is a little bit older and is back home, you might just see that child peek his or her head into the kitchen and say, Hey, what can I do to help out? Who is it that you're going to be in the kingdom of God? Is it the little child who doesn't know well enough to help out? Or is it the older child who realizes that he's already taken care of, he has his spot at the dinner, but there's an opportunity to show love and appreciation by helping out. That's what Jesus wants us to do here. He wants us not to be ones who are looking out for our own place, but ones who are ready to serve in his kingdom. And Jesus wants all his disciples, all his followers, to understand that they don't need to be angling for a better place. Look at verses 42 through 45, where Jesus is addressing the whole group of disciples. He tells them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. It makes sense that these other disciples would harbor resentment toward James and John because those other disciples, in their minds, wanted the same thing. It's the natural inclination of the sinful nature to want that desire to get to the top. It's how the world around us operates, and that's what Jesus points out in the very real example of rulers, of kings of world leaders. Leaders try to grab as much power as they can. The world tends to hoard power and lord power. They want to grab as much power as they can and secure their spot at the top where it's comfortable and easy and life goes just how you want it to and then to lord that power over others so that no one can come, rise up, and take that spot away from you. So that no one can threaten the way of life that you've established for yourself. So that no one forgets who's in control. A quick look at history proves that this is true when you look at all the leaders who have killed those who threatened to come to their place of power when they suppress the thoughts of of the countries by producing propaganda or other programs that suppress anyone who would rise up and take them from their place of power. But Jesus says to his followers, it's not so with you. You instead are to be the servant of all. You are to be the slave of all. Catering not to your own needs, but to the needs of everyone around you. Listen to what he told the disciples, and you'll see it in verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, more than anyone, deserved to be someone who held on to power and lorded it over others. He was the very Son of God. And you've heard about the miracles he's done. It would have been very easy for him to use that power to do whatever he wanted. But he didn't. Instead, he became the servant of all. He became the servant of you and the servant of me. And he gave up his life as a ransom for many. And if you don't think that that was a truly emotional, a truly difficult thing for Jesus to do, listen to how the gospel writers describe Jesus on the night he was betrayed. The writer Mark says that as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, contemplating what was about to happen to him, that he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Matthew quotes Jesus as saying, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And Luke says, Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. That's the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. That's the sacrifice and the servant attitude that Jesus showed because he loves you. That's what Jesus means when he says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in saying this, he wants you, his followers, to have the same attitude. He wants you to have that same sacrificial love for each and every person around you. And because of his sacrificial love, you know that you can reflect his image and his thoughts. Ask God what he wants you to do and he will tell you. Feed my sheep With my words of life. Mend broken hearts. Be that comforting embrace. Wash others' feet and give them what they need. There's one other place in the Bible where Jesus talks about service and about having a spot at the table, and that's on the night of the Last Supper. As he sits in the room with his disciples, Jesus says this to them. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? But I am among, is it not the one who is at the table? And yet I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Once again, we see Jesus assure us of our places in glory. And yet he also points out that at this time it is not yet a time for glory. It is a time for service. That is how glory comes about. Service now and glory later. Not as a reward for our actions, but as a gift of our Savior. Have you ever heard of a situation where a family member has, a, or where a child or a family member has an elderly parent? And that person, that individual, is never very eager to help out that elderly parent. Almost never goes to assist them in any way. But when the time comes that that elderly parent passes, that individual is the first one to line up and receive their inheritance. It's frustrating, isn't it? It it makes you almost want to shake them and, and get a little sense into that person. Well, that's what we have here. Jesus is shaking us and talking the sense into us about how his kingdom works. We have our inheritance, it's already been given to us. It's not something that we need to angle our way into getting. Instead, we ask to serve knowing that we're taken care of and that our Savior desires for us to follow in his example with a sacrificial love and service that reflects his own. And when you struggle with this, simply look to Jesus. Look at what he has done for you and look at the example that that gives for you to follow. His life and his service will not only guide you, but empower you to ask not for places of glory, but to ask to serve. Amen.